we've just returned from a week in California. We can say many things, but one of the things we know we can say is growing things is very different out there. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. And welcome to our podcast of August 17, 2011. That was such a great trip to California. I went to see our Wonderful children. Wonderful visit with our children and our, and grandson, our grandchild. And yeah. uh, the, the weather, I could not have asked for more pleasant weather the entire time we were there. Beautiful, sunny, breezy, you know, low humidity. Um, all the things that, uh, you know, make us love California. But and, and lots of sunshine bearing Just down on those plants. Just a staggering amount of sunshine. Yeah. You yeah. know, our... What we're used to here in central Alabama is we have sunny mornings, mm -hmm. and then usually things are clouding up by one thirty two o'clock. Yes. Yeah, in the yeah. summertime. Yeah, that's our pattern, right. Uh, but you don't have that in California. It's sunny all day long. I mean, long. if anything, you get that, that phenomenon of the the it's a little cloudy in the morning sometimes and that Maybe. burns off a little foggy a little foggy etc but um anyway it was very nice we had to be sure and wear our sunscreen because there's because of the sun and the fact that you know you, it's so low humidity and so pleasant to be out it's easy to just stay out there indefinitely and not worry about being outdoors so i did i did take the sunscreen and i continue not to wear sunscreen i just don't believe in it i think it's a bad idea but I realize that I am a lone voice in the wilderness. And you're tanner than I am, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one of the things that we that we think would be of interest to the podcast is the what we observed in terms of growing things out there. We've been out there before and done this, but, of course, now that we're so into our own growing, especially We're tuned in grow, more yeah. to what they're doing out there. Exactly. We're, and... and what they're doing agriculturally, agriculturally and horticulturally. And horticulturally, that's right. And and I've actually been reading more uh, in my organic gardening magazines of what's happening in California. So to actually get out there and see it, um, it with my own eyes, that was that was really a treat. Um, and organic, it was certainly a treat to wander in the farmer's market. Oh, yes. Gorge, gorgeous organic produce that you can get. The one we actually visited was in Torrance, I believe, wasn't mm -hmm. it? I believe so, yes. Okay. yes. Um, and just beautiful produce, gorgeous fruit, wonderful-looking broccoli and peppers and tomatoes. And Big figs. They looked yeah. mouth-watering. Um, and pluots. We decided, I think I decided my, I like my new favorite fruit, <laughs> if it's sweet. And so much of that was, our, I love pluots. Cross between a plum and an apricot. Right, and it was they were really nice. We bought and petals from the past will sell you a pluot. Uh, neither Jason nor his dad Arlie have really pushed pluots, mm -hmm. so I don't know whether they're hardy here in Central Alabama. They may be too fussy. But we're inclined to try since we we're enjoyed that so to much. Try now that we've tasted a pluot. Yeah. Boy, they were delicious. Yeah. Um, and, and it's so dry out there, though, 
watering is a constant necessity. You don't just say, "Oh, it might rain this afternoon." Yeah. You know, we're that Let thunderstorm. Let us never take care of forget it. that that seven, eight million people living in the desert, and um, mm-hmm. they are sustained on a daily basis by a constant infusion of water from outside their area. And if that water transport system ever breaks down, uh, that's going to be a really difficult place to live. Yeah, and especially to grow things. So uh, To live. I, they're well, not that's true. Be you able have to, to have water to, to yeah, survive. Yeah, we humans need water, and yeah. their water is piped in, and if it ever stopped being piped in... Uh, Katie, bar the door. It's going to be a tough yeah, place. Yeah. And and one area in particular that we enjoyed um, looking was around Solvang, California, uh, wine country up north of Santa Barbara. Am I right with my directions You're right there? about that, yeah. And um, we did a did a wine tour of sorts, especially uh, in the area where the Pinot Noir grapes are grown. Strong Pinot country. Mm-hmm. Apparently, yeah. um Pinot grows better close to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And if you get inland much, then you can't grow Pinot, and you can grow other things like um, um, Cabernet and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, but where we were sampling and traveling, it is the heart of Pinot country. It's coastal and, and beautiful, very, very luscious. Um, and, of course, we enjoyed the wines that we tasted but we were interested in how did they do this? Because while we don't have Pinot grapes, we do have muscadines, and we're interested in nurturing that type of grape for our own wine production. You bet. And one of my principal goals when we were up in wine country was to get out among the vines and actually have a chance to walk around through the vines, see the grapes, um, see how they were dripping their grapes, see how they were trellising them, and so forth. I was a little disappointed that all of the vineyards, at this time of year anyway, are pretty chintzy about letting you get out and walk amongst the grapevines. Well, it's interesting. There was one vineyard that we visited in which the uh, the pourer, the person, our contact person, said you can't get out and walk around them. But the other two that we visited... There was no one there to say a word. I mean, you did, they didn't encourage you to walk around, but they were right there. And, and we were careful after yeah. that one conversation not to ask permission. No, we didn't ask permission. We did go out and <laughs> take a look. We did sort of cheat. We yeah. would uh, get out of the car and walk. I was careful not to touch anything. No, we didn't walk amongst the rows or anything to damage But we anything. were able to get very close to the vines and see how they were being trellised and how they were being dripped and... Um, one of one thing we learned, of course, is that the Pinot grapes are not nearly so aggressive with their vine growth as muscadines are. Mm-hmm. So they they look a little puny. The, the grapes <laughs> are small. They're the, small and the grapes, grapes are very small. small. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Particularly in relation to the muscadines, which have you know the ones we cultivate have nice big grapes on them. Mm-hmm. And and as we noticed, it's all dripped. And the drip tape or drip hose, I guess, instead of being right on the lying on the ground the way ours is, is up 
a couple of inches off the ground. Or, or maybe along the even more than more a couple than of that, inches, yeah. maybe a foot or so off the ground. And I guess that cuts down on the wear and tear on the drip hose, maybe. I don't, I don't know the reason. That would yeah. be interesting to know. Ours um, is right down on the ground and covered in mulch, which I've always thought would help it to last longer. Um, but... What these, all these folks have decided it makes more sense for them to have the drip tape about a foot off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's all dripped, but they're not dripping them right now because they want to stress the grapes. At least one of the vineyards was one of holding the vineyards. off yeah. dripping them. I noticed the um, folks at was it Foley? Sanford. No, Sam, Sanford. Sanford were actually dripping while okay. we were there. Were they? I, see, I didn't really look at theirs. Yeah, they but, were actually, I could see the water coming off. But Foley hose. wasn't, I don't think. No, right? Foley was not, and Almarosa was not. Mm-hmm. The theory, as I understand it, is that during this time that the grapes are filling out, if you stress them, that is, by withholding water, then the flavor will be deeper and more intense mm-hmm. than if you give them everything their little heart desires. Right. And in a sense, I can see that, I can relate that to what we go through with our watermelons and our, our melons in general. Well, that's a good point. Is that yeah. you don't want to allow too much moisture. You don't want to water too much when you're fruiting because you get a sweeter melon that way. And I imagine it's something very similar mm-hmm, to that. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting to see what they were doing, um, how, the, how the drip was set up, um, how close, how much more intensely They've planted their plants Good than point. our vines. And again, I think that may have more to do with the aggressive growth of the muscadine in relation to um, the, um, the Pinot grapes, the Pinot yeah. grapes and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of it is that we like to be able to get equipment between the rows. And they do get equipment between the rows. I don't know whether you noticed that team tiny tractor they yes, were using. Yes. It was very thin. Uh, the wheelbase must have been, gosh, maybe four feet or so, maybe even less than that. But it was designed to travel up and down those narrow, narrow rows they have between their vines. And of course, you want to produce as, per acre, you want to produce as much wine as you can. So therefore, you have a vested interest in keeping the rows I guess, but it just seems to me well, who can say? Who can say? But this is what we observed. And yeah. the other thing we were interested in was talking to um, our hosts there about whether they were organic or not. And t- <laughs> one of the vineyards we visited was certified organic. Uh, the other two were not. And the, one of them actually used the phrase, we're not organic, but we're sustainable. Which, of course, you and I know to be BS. I mean, that's just, that's a crock. It means that they can use Roundup or whatever. I don't know what it is they're using. It's proof positive that the word sustainable has been allowed to be corrupted. It's Um, been hijacked. That's right. What they're doing (laughs) is not at all sustainable. It's um, what they want to have is the ability to limit their use of herbicides and pesticides, but to use them when it serves their purposes. Yes. And, you know, that, as far as I'm concerned, that's not organic. That's just conventional horticulture. Yeah. So. Um, but, you know, that uh, that was in- interesting to hear that guy say, oh, we're not organic, but we're yeah. sustainable. 
I'm thinking, oh, man. And I'll tell you the other thing that we uh, learned was that you're not a big fan of Pinot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. I, I, my taste in wine runs to Merlot, and I have always enjoyed it. Uh, the Pinot is, it just tastes a little thin to me. And, of course, you travel in Pinot country, and you hear all about how wonderful Pinot is, and then you taste it, and it still tastes an awful lot like Pinot to me. But which I is, like it. And, and, I, and I'm the, glad you do. And they had uh, nice flights of white wines, Chardonnays, and, and a nice um, Sauvignon Blanc, and, the, and I enjoyed those. Yeah. But uh, but the, the other thing that was interesting from a, a, a growing standpoint was the discussion we had with one of our uh, hosts about the relationship of sugar to alcohol. That was very helpful. That may be the the best, most usable takeaway for me of that experience was to hear him describe how the fermentation process works. The sweeter the grape, according to him, the higher the alcohol content will be mm-hmm. when the wine is finished. Of course, you could cut it off. You could stop the fermentation when it's still quite sweet. And then it wouldn't be that high in alcohol. Mm -hmm. But if you let it run, and he used the term let it Mm -hmm. run, meaning if you let that fermentation continue and convert more and more of that sugar to alcohol, it's not going to be sweet, but it is going to be high in alcohol content. Yeah. Which is very helpful for me to understand how we might approach this when we make muscadine wine. Our big concern about muscadine wine has always been that the muscadine wine we tend to drink, that we've, we've that experienced. That we've tasted. We've tasted it, yes. Yeah, is too sweet for our taste. I know, and I really don't like sweet wine. It's just wines. not pleasant to drink the, the wine that's that sweet. But now we're thinking, okay, could we make muscadine wine and let it run a little longer we might end up with a higher percentage of alcohol, but we would end up, we hope, with a wine that is less sweet. Right. And in fact, our friends Byron and Mavis Abrams have made wine, and they believe they found a way to make it less sweet. Right. So unfortunately, yeah. it was already consumed by the time we heard about it. So we yeah, haven't, we haven't had a tasted to it. See That's for right. That's right. <laughs> so we have lots of of ideas here. I brought home some brochures from these wineries, and. Um, Partly so I can, if I want to talk to a distributor about getting some of them here to do that. But also, just it was great information, and I think we can apply it to our own um, growing uh, in the orchard, too. too. Uh, There's a limited amount of application of the way they grow things because of that, you know, so much sunshine out there. Um, But I think in terms of converting fruit to wine... We have a great deal we can learn from them. Absolutely. And we're, we we are well on our way. Yeah. Well, we, we should talk a little bit about what happens when you're away from your farm during harvest. Do we harvest have to talk about this? And growing season. <laughs> when you leave for a week. Now, we did offer to some friends of ours to come and we called it the Borden You Pick. Come out there and pick our veg while we're gone and, and take as much as you want. And they did take us up yeah, on it. a couple it. of them There's took us up on it. There's still a lot we out glad there. to see yeah. that they had been able to enjoy some of it. But, yeah, we're right. You're right. We have a lot of veg hanging around out there. Yeah, including I noticed I did go out there a few minutes ago, and it's late enough in the day that I can't 
do anything about it right now, but a couple of the okra have gotten really large and therefore will be inedible. But maybe it's time to, to you know, harvest a little seed from those. Exactly. Let so, them go to seed. Um, go, let, it go, let them go to seed. It looks like a jungle a bit, and I'm hoping in the morning I can persuade you to get up and do some mowing. Yeah, we'll, we'll um, target that. And I, I picked some nice-looking tomatoes and cucumbers when I got home. And uh, noticed some watermelons getting big out there. So hopefully we've still got oh, and peas that are resurging, all kinds of, of good things going on. So I'll get out and, and uh, take stock more fully tomorrow in, the, in the, the early part of the day. And I've got a similar issue out in the orchard where the, um, I, I will call it the orchard floor grass. You would call it the weeds. Yeah, they're pretty. Uh, seem, they're pretty tall. <laughs> seem to be taking the orchard over, and we're wondering whether there's still an orchard out there underneath all that oh, stuff. Oh, I'm sure. But, uh, I'm sure. I've got my got some bush hogging that needs to happen out in the in the orchard. One thing that concerned me was what happened to some veg that we had already harvested last year. I know we talked about this on the podcast. All the winter squash that we grew and harvested and stored in our our makeshift larder. Um, luckily, it was sort of cool by the time we put it out there. Uh, this summer, of course, it's been too hot to store it in the storage room, and our our um, root cellar is not quite ready for use yet. Right. So I went off and left a good many winter squash that had been harvested just on the counter here in the in the ha- apartment. And I don't think it really got that hot in here. No, I'm but confident. It didn't what get I've that noticed hot. is some of the spaghetti squash and other winter squash from this year are going bad before I can, unless I refrigerate them. Um, And we just didn't have that happen last year. So I don't know exactly whether I'm harvesting them too early because when they have a nice, um, and I know you are supposed to ideally wait until the stem of a winter squash is woody uh, before you clip it or harvest it. And a couple of those I probably harvested too soon partly because I saw bugs trying to get into them in little holes and that kind of thing. But I was just disappointed at having to take about two or three of them and put them in the compost when I got home. Yeah. So maybe we'll we'll figure out what's going on there. But uh, anyway, that's I think that's probably all we have time to talk about today. But we'll give you all an update next week about uh, Veg Hill and the Lodge and all the things that we hope to accomplish uh, now that we're back on the farm. So have, have a, a great week. Have a great week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.